it'll be all right on the night. That's a thing that people say. What you know? What else people say? They say break a leg. Uh, two very common phrases that are used in a very particular industry. Um. The, the yes. We both know what it is, me. so we're not going to say. Yeah, work with me here. Yeah. It's <laughs> never taken an improv class, so like just uh, yes and me, motherfucker, please. Oh right, I see. <laughs> It's musical on... theatre. Yes. Musical theatre is the topic today. That one. Hmm. That most exciting. Well, not strictly musical theatre, just more um, stage to screen musicals. Yes. Or, vi- or musicals that aren't on stage or just anything, really. Yeah, we've, we've, we've butchered this opening already. No, it's fine. Keep going. This it's is fine, where the fine. yes and comes into it. Now it's your turn. Yes and... Also, that oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> T- today we're going to be talking about uh, some great adaptations of musicals to film, and some horrible adaptations of musicals to film, and everything in between. But not also everything. Just our favorite, just some things. Yeah. Also, just our favorite musicals in general, and in regards to film and stage and all that jazz and everything. So yes. All that jazz. Yes, another saying and film and song and everything. God, we're just on fire today. Oh, we're, it's you can't replicate this kind of raw chemistry anywhere else. <laughs> you want to get the McElroy brothers? Ah, move over. We no, it's it's us. Have yeah, we it's have us. That's, it's all three us, minutes maybe. of fumbling to say. We're talking about musicals. Well, I mean, we do have a history of talking about musicals on this podcast because we've also talked about the uh, renowned classic that is Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, still waiting oh, for yes. its big screen adaptation. Yeah, we. Um, I'm assuming that's what they're going to do with the next MCU film because they obviously they're leading into it, clearly you from Far to, From Home. Yeah, you have to assume. they've They've been keeping... There's been no mention of Green Goblin with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. It's because they are saving him for his big musical debut. <laughs> and then his big musical death and demise. Yeah, it would take it very... Um, it would be a full circle if it ever did get adapted to film because it feels like so much of it is based on... Very heavily sort of based on the Raimi films. But, you know, just worse in every way. That's a, oh, well. somehow well it somehow they you'd think with Raimi's style that is a bit goofier but in a sincere theatrical way you'd think that might translate well to stage but by all accounts it didn't so well I'm sure yeah. it would if it was Raimi directing the stage show but it's someone else taking on someone else's style and work it's never going to transition well I, I don't know I feel like if I was going to watch Raimi direct any stage show I'd want it to be something like Evil Dead or Drag Me to oh, Hell absolutely. rather no, than Evil Dead Evil yeah. Dead as a, as a musical is absolutely it's waiting to I happen it, it's almost there already uh, now actually musicals in general uh, or stage screen musicals are weirdly uh, in the general lexicon of the world at the minute, purely because of they... <laughs> TikTok as an app is, uh, and as a community, is collaborating collaborating 
to make Ratatouille the musical happen. I have I seen you know I've seen whispers of this, yeah. Yeah, so um, if you get on the app and do, you know, 10 minutes of any searching, you will find that they have somehow managed to create an almost an entire musical about Ratatouille without without ever really working with each other there's just people that are throwing together songs and choreography and shoebox musical stage production of it and it's it's what generally inspired this episode to happen oh okay well this is the first time you're giving me this information so oh that feels it feels very much like based on what you've just described based on that uh do you remember when a bunch of youtubers remade shrek scene for scene yeah yeah, so that's sort of the vibe I'm getting, but I don't know. You're the one who's seen it or researched it better than I have, so. Well, it's. I'll send you a bunch of the links afterwards. Oh, okay, great. I've got that. It's genuinely. It's fascinating to watch because they're somehow creating a style for it, and it all works. And someone creates a a song for the female chef, or I can't even remember the name of, and someone's doing a Chef Gusteau song, which is called Anyone Can Cook, and then there's a song for Remy's dad, and there's just, it's just, it's beautiful. It's And I'm seeing it come together before my eyes, and when COVID's over, they're all going to put it together into a stage show, and we're all going to watch it together, and we're all going to cry our eyes out. And it will heal the world purely on its own. It will. It, it will heal everything. No no ill will will be placed within that stage. And then it will become a best-selling Broadway smash, and then some film executive is going to go, we need a Ratatouille musical adaptation on film. Yes. And then we and get it'll, Ratat- and it'll come Ratatouille. full circle again. Yes. Oh, my God. But it's there'll be the sequel to Ratatouille, which would be Ratatouille, with the two in it. Yeah, but that's not a dish. The whole thing of Ratatouille is that it's a uh, food as well. Well, maybe if you had two on a plate, it would be ratatouille. Two ratatouilles. Yeah. Rat- okay, great. e. Yeah, that works, sure. This is We've a train it. wreck, honestly. No, it's fine. We're just slowly inching our way towards the um, main theme. Yeah, my point being is that I think that would be a good adaptation. Okay, yes. So, and and I think, first of all, we want to discuss good film adaptations of musicals. Of stage musicals, yeah. Would you like to go first here, or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'll go first, because I feel like I've got... The first example that I sort of thought of was one that feels, to all intents and purposes, like the best case that you could do for adapting a Broadway play, and not just in terms of the finished results, but also with a production level. Because I've gone for West Side Story. So when West Side St- when they put West Side Story into production, they hired the choreographer and director of the Broadway run, Jerome Robbins, and had him co-direct the film with film director Robert Wise, who had done The Day the Earth Stood Still and would go on to do uh, The Sound of Music and The Haunting, and just a generally really acclaimed career and it gets this really good combination of someone who understands the appeal of the stage show and the direction that wants to go in but combined with someone who also has an acute sense of film language and how best to translate that onto the big screen the entire film has that flowing through it It, every scene you can tell there's that great duality 
of both of them working to produce this just flat out really great musical so yeah that 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 is very fair um i haven't actually seen the original west side story but isn't that um are they redoing it next they year they are spielberg's spielberg. remaking it which yeah. is i i mean i'm i'm interested but also it's it's weird how he's going to be able to sort of improve on it because the original feels shockingly relevant considering it was in the 50s there's this real undercurrent of urgency to the plot in that you know it's it's shakespeare and it's this big tragedy but it's also set in the streets of new york and it has all this commentary on prejudice and systemic racism and just a really great grounded narrative but one that also uses dance and song in a really great way to inform the story and further it it's it's a it's a weird one because uh, I remember seeing the first news of them remaking yeah. it and I no one was calling for it. I feel it's one of those no it oh it feels that's like happening it, yeah it definitely still holds up. There is the um, there is sort of the whitewashing problem which is very unfortunate. But outside of yeah. that, and I, so I do respect them with and apparently the new version is cast you know all. Um, people in the proper parts which is good but again it just seems like and again we you know it was supposed to come out around this time and then the world sort of ended but it it's sort of so far i can't really tell what spielberg is gonna bring to it but yeah especially because as i said so much of west side story is really well constructed just on a filmic level and the the opening sequence is this great choreographed almost balletic fight scene because there's this idea that dance scenes and fight scenes are very similar in terms of you're choreographing a piece that actors have to then perform and you sort of use the tools of film language to show it in the best way you can and West Side Story does that really well because it immediately establishes the world and establishes this conflict and puts you in this back and forth rivalry between these two gangs yeah and i think there's a lot to be said about how um how well referenced west side story is throughout you mm. know cinema history post yeah. its release and how many things you see can that reference west side story you know the jets and the sharks that everyone's talking yeah. about all these different gangs and and just in general um like i, I i've spoken uh, i've spoken to a few of my friends recently regarding uh, these topics and West Side Story often comes up within them. And it's it's weird for me because, again, like, I have not seen the original film, which is I definitely want to and I definitely will. Yeah. But it always comes up in discussion because it is that, it, you know, it, it, it really does have a staying power, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it just feels, and all the songs are still great and, yeah, it's just, and the, it's full of great performances and, and it was a, gargantuan success when it came out as well because it it was the highest grossing film of that year and won 10 Oscars which is kind of astounding so it just yeah it just it just feels rock solid and again as i said on a production level they really wanted to both honor the stage play but also translate it to a new medium and you can and the results speak for themselves because it really shows in the final product Absolutely. I, it's a solid pick for yes. a, a good ad- adaptation. 
Do you have a similarly solid choice? Well, I th- I, I think a lot of mine are... <laughs> I don't think as many of mine are going to be as academic in analysis as much as I liked it when I watched it. <laughs> that it yeah, but, that's a that's a still a fine reason. Yeah. I think. Uh, so I think in terms of popularity, one of the most uh influential or one of the most talked about uh movie musicals is the first Mamma Mia film. Right, okay. So the <laughs> I now, I have see, a lot of um, no you you know what you can go first I I want to see you explain this. Well, see the thing is is that um, when I first watched the film, I had no idea that it was a stage play, but a stage musical before the film. I thought that the film came out first and then the musical afterwards. Mm. Uh, it was only relatively recently that that knowledge was uh, disproved to me. But I think. I don't know. I don't really know how best to explain it. There's a lot of joy in that film. There's so much joy in that first Mamma Mia film. And I think it does a really good job of being cinematic and grand in its scale of how it shoots everything that translates it really well to film as opposed to just being on stage. Okay. Um, what I will say about it is that I feel like everyone was having a great time on the cast, and they all seemed to love it. I, you know, Meryl was singing, and no one stopped Pierce Brosnan from singing. So I guess he's also there. And I, we, uh, don't make me fight you about Pierce Brosnan. No, you cannot. There is no way you can like look at his because. All right. I'm not saying I'm not that he's hold a fantastic it. singer. No, I'm not going to hold it against him that he's not a good singer. But they give him... They looked at what he could do. They looked at his abilities and thought, yes, we will give him the big sweeping solos. That's just how the character... They couldn't put Pierce Brosnan as any yeah, of the they other could. characters. They could. They could. That's why you adapt things. You change uh, it. Ah, Pierce Brosnan, no. Give him any no, no, reason no, no, to no. not sing. Um, I will say, though, that the sequel is shock is like it's a shocking improvement genuinely i mean this is well it's really well directed and also they limit pierce brosnan singing he only sings i once i'm I pretty we're sure gonna, we're gonna fall out in a minute we're gonna fall out if you keep no, sort of pierce brosnan here but, but he's look he's a, he's I'm a not, good actor i'm not trying to say he's a good singer uh, yeah I'm he's, not a trying good to say actor. he's a good singer i'm glad I'm he's in the film that- he's got good chemistry with everyone <laughs> but making him blast out isn't it the winner takes it all that he's trying to like it, yell at Meryl Streep? Yeah. S it's SOS, isn't it? Oh yeah. Where he's, that as well. Where he's like I'm I can't I'm not gonna sing that's, because no, I'm no. worse than Pierce Brosnan. Yes. But I that's why I liked him, because he was very human in that role in the fact that he wasn't an amazing singer. And I related to that. It's I felt like that could have been me. You think, exactly. Oh, that's, like, yeah, it does. It just sounds like your parents all decided to do a night of ABBA singing. Yeah, and th- that's that's charming in its own way. And what's weird is, uh, having seen the stage show live after seeing the film, I think they cast a lot of people now. I don't know if it was the case beforehand, but they cast a lot of people now to sound like Pierce Brosnan, but good. <laughs> all right. Well, but also. 
like a lot of people harp on Brosnan, but I don't know if Meryl gets away that much better either. And again, it's not, she is not a bad singer. She's done good in, you know, she's done good work for Into the Woods and Florence Foster Jenkins. Well, not, with Florence Foster Jenkins, she's supposed to be a bad singer who is like sort of, because of her rich husband, ends up getting a bunch of gigs to sort of fuel her own fantasies being an opera singer. It's Anyway, that's a different thing, uh, not to get sidetracked, because with Mamma Mia, again, they give her these big songs that don't match her range. I can't believe we're fighting over and Mamma it, Mia and right it's also, now. And it's also really just flatly shot as well because there's no real choreography to it they just sort of stand around and sing and then that's it whereas the second one here we go again has actual really good musical numbers in it i see that I, this is going to become a mamma mia podcast um yes if we just keep talking about this but the the point mm. um for me mamma mia 2 was weird because it was it was it was too cinematic in its transitions like why was it doing a the first shot is the drone shot that transitions into a photograph yeah um, which or the other way around uh, but like but why and then that's the, the whole thing where they're in the hotel room and then it's going across through the mirrors and across into New yeah, York that's fantastic that's an amazing it's shot it's weird <laughs> it's so weird it doesn't fit for like what Mamma Mia should be, it's yeah. So but weird. I admire, I admire that ambition more than just okay, Meryl, go, and then point a camera at her because I feel like that was the direction on the first one. We're not going to be talking about Mamma Mia anymore because we I are we're banned going to fight. from we're discussing gonna... it further because it ruins our friendship. Yes, I can't. Believe... This is such new information to me, but I'm ah. Uh... <laughs> I also have the Rocky Horror Picture Show on here. Okay, that's a great one. I can get behind that. And this will come up again later on. But as a f- as a film, it's very good. I'm I'm so frazzled from. <laughs> that's going to hang like a shadow over the rest of this episode. It's the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, but yeah, come on, let's just Rocky reconcile over how great Tim Curry is. Yeah, okay. Tim Curry, fantastic performance. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to be said about how amazing his performance is in Rocky Horror Picture Show that having seen it live and talk to other people who have seen it live several times, that first moment where Frank Fur arrives yeah. is is the the turning point of the show. Like, if that moment doesn't hit right, the rest of the show is flat. Like, you cannot recover from it. It really feels like it sets a tone as well because there's a certain... And again, I don't... You know, I can't travel back to pre-1979, whenever the film came out, and judge Five. what the shows were before. But it it feels like it very much set an aesthetic that just sort of sticks in the memory that all of the stage shows have had to... And I don't mean this in a negative because it's fantastic, in that they've had to comply to. Because it's that iconic and it's that memorable. Yeah, that that whole weirdly grungy, alien almost uh, aesthetic yeah. to everything, where everything's, I there's there's no real words to sort of describe it. I think when you look at it, because it's so weird, it just it's designed to be weird, and it absolutely hits the nail on the head of just being weird. 
and that's why people are gravitating towards it because it's for the weirdos in life. Yeah. But everyone loves it. Huh. Well, I want to give a mention to Cabaret, but only because... Well, I mean, it is a good film, but also because it's... As far as adaptations go, it's not that faithful of an adaptation to its original stage show. But I think that works to its advantage as a film because what uh, director Bob Fosse did was he staged a lot of the musical numbers from the show as stage performances in the film. So the only songs that get sung are ones that are in the context of a stage within the narrative of the film. And that works really well because so much of the film has this um, very serious subject matter about the rise of fascism and the creeping, you know, horrors of Nazism. But it works because it really cements this theme of theatre as an escape vehicle. And you can probably hear the dog barking in the background of this. That is that is fine. He's a he's a yep. big fan of cabaret, clearly. Yes. Um and yeah, it, it really hammers home the tragedy of it of when as the the scene of uh 1930s Germany and all these clubs start to lose their identity that you know this great flamboyant nature to them as you know the world just sort of falls to pieces around them i think it's really interesting the fact that the two that you've had the most to say about you've been very they're very much about uh, the themes of um society and everything like that and the the ones that i've picked uh I had a good you time. Abba uh, and Tim Curry. Yeah, I, I like I like it. The music when the sings go good. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's not. I mean, that was sort of the big deal of Cabaret. Even though there's this darker subtext to it, it is mainly about the escapism of musical theatre and what a tragedy it is that that gets squashed at that moment of history. So you know, Rocky Horror and that other one are just as relevant because they are escapism. It's it true. It's true, but you raise a good point. <laughs> I just I just think it's very interesting how the the two that you've picked compared to the two that I've picked. Yeah. But I and of like all make... of them, it was the Abba one that nearly ruined our friendship. I, I literally I <laughs> I have no idea what musical that is. Uh, <laughs> we I'm pretending I don't see it. But my uh, one of one pick I've also put which I think will come up a lot for me personally, is The Producers. Ah, okay. Which is that the was... film version? Yeah. The, sorry, the, the film, film version, version of the musical. Right, okay. The film version from like 2005 with Nathan Lane and uh, yeah. Matthew Broderick. I think that's a, a fantastic adaptation. I think it's there's some elements of it that are a little bit outdated in terms of the the comedy but i think it's so exaggerated in its caricatures of every person in it that it it can fly a little bit safer than a lot of things can because obviously it, it makes huge jokes about you know nazism yeah. and show business in general mm-hmm. and i just it's one of my favorite films of all time really just it's because a, it's i was gonna say it's a very weird contrast with the fact that Mel Brooks took his film, The Producers, then adapted it to stage, and then that stage adaptation was then adapted to film. Yeah, it's, it's a, a real it, journey. Yeah. 
Mm. But it was directed. Um, I, I'm trying. To I think it was directed by Brooks uh, for the film. The, I don't think so. I don't think the musical was. Because no, I did I mean, actually the, look at it just before. Oh yeah, yeah. So no, the, it was, the 2005 film was written by Brooks. Yes, because it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, I understand it was now. Susan Stroman. I, yeah, it's a good film. It's a lot of fun, uh, and I relate too painfully to Matthew Broderick and his blue blanket, um, and being hysterical and wet, and Uma Thurman being very attractive. <laughs> That—that's your big takeaway. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Broderick, I, hysterical and wet. Uma Thurman, attractive. That's the two. Do you have that in notes or? Did, did uh, you that, need that is my briefest that? notes upon this. Ah, great. Uh, I had to put it down in those words just to make sure that I got it across. Mm. I but think, again, I don't want to yeah. talk too much about it in this section because it does come up in more specific later on for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, shall we move to the other end of the adaptation scale? Yes, we. I've, I've got a far shorter list for this section. Okay. Right. Well, uh, since you have a shorter list, what's your what's your what's a, what's on your list? Is what I should have said immediately and felt like I had to do yeah. some sort of weird caveat to it. I only have one thing on here. Okay. Um, and it's less of a... We've, we've discussed this on several different occasions. But it's it's less of a musical, more of a an ethereal, dream-like experience. Ah, yes. And it's, it is Cats. It is Tom Hooper's Cats from 2019. Yeah. Okay. So... Right. I having just said you should go first, I'm now gonna immediately sideline your thing because I so Cats was directed by Tom Hooper, who also did Les Miserables in 2012, and I have things to say about that one. That and is fine. So Do you want me to just kick back, back and let you have this one? Yeah. So right. Okay. So yeah. Sure. Um, with uh, Les Miserables, Hooper took this giant sweeping epic musical and he filmed it almost exclusively in close-up with handheld camera in these weird unbroken takes and it does so much to sap the energy out of every single song in that film constantly time and time again i feel like it's the life of that story is just being drained away by how claustrophobic and isolating his direction is like he shoots he shoots Anne Hathaway singing I Dream a Dream the same way Stanley Kubrick shot Jack Nicholson in The Shining it's insane <laughs> I, 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 there's maybe there's some argument to be made that they're very similar moments of character because they're both yeah. about to die I mean potentially but it's but that's I, the, I'm sure that Tom Hooper was that's what he was thinking he was like this is my I am the Kubrick Anne Hathaway yeah. is my Jack Nicholson and, and he makes us sit down to sing a song as well at one point, which again, and they're all looking directly into the camera. And uh, this is another very strange decision he made, which was he wasn't going to use any dubbing with the songs. He was going to have all the actors sing the songs on set as they were performing. So that creates so many problems. To start with, they're having to belt out these songs you know, 10 or 12 times or however many takes he wants to do in a day. Yeah, someone pulls focus the wrong way and suddenly it's like, oh great, my yeah, throat is it. destroyed. Mm. So, and this is why this is why so many of the songs are done in these unbroken takes because he wants to get as much coverage as possible. 
to sort of try and compensate for the fact that his actors are literally dying because they're exhausted because they've sung the same song 50 times already. But then it's weird, isn't it? Because on yeah. paper that it sounds like it's a really cool thing to mm. be like, oh, all the singers, all the singing's done live, just like the musical. It's all yeah. done, you know, amazingly. But it's like, no, God, this is horrible for a film schedule that doesn't work. Yeah. And because I know Broadway actors have to do that on stage anyway. But the problem with trying to shoot it on film is that you're having to position yourself so you're constantly in line with the camera and that all of the... And remember, because he's also recording sound from the set, he's got to get all the boom mics in, he's got to get a good, clear recording of these of, of these voices as they're singing the songs. So the shots constantly look cluttered and confused because people are moving in and out of focus they're pausing they're you know as everyone is trying to get in position so they can just carry on moving forward and it's just and again it just it takes the energy out of it and hooper also said that because of this shooting schedule that he insisted on having he would allow his actors to take pauses or to you know sort of change the lyrics a bit if they needed to but then that also ruins it because you then end up with moments like where Hugh Jackman just whispers I'm John Valjean instead of bellowing it. And it just, it falls flat because you don't have that same epic sweep. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just thinking, please, Tom, for the love of God, use a wide shot. Please. <laughs> just, I, I feel do- claustrophobic because you've put us in close up for the past 50 minutes. Hey, we do get a wide shot in the film when Russell Crowe snaps like a twig when yes. he jumps off the bridge. Yeah, that's the thing. I Like, a lot of people say Russell Crowe is a bad singer and he's bad in that film, and I'm sure he is, but anyone's voice would be worse after having to sing it, you know, God knows how many times. Maybe he was okay on the first take. <laughs> but they were the like oh day, no he was you can see yeah you can see the top of the boom mic in that shot this will have to be take 97 <laughs> so yeah um but and he does the only reason i can think hooper did this was because he wanted to pursue this sort of realism feel to it which is admirable but sort of undercuts the entire appeal of the show and then this is why this is where we find ourselves with cats. Thank you for the introduction to yes. my my yeah. list of. <laughs> um, in this essay, I will. Yeah. In this five-part series. Yeah. But no, it's it is very true that the everything that feels wrong with Les Mis it absolutely is what's carried over into mm. Cats, because it is it feels like. Everything that is made on a as a director directorial choice yeah. is where the film falls flat because I would never blame of the VFX artists for mm-hmm. that how that film looks. It yeah. was not their problem; they just got given what they were supposed to do and they had to do it to the best of their abilities. Mm-hmm. It was the creative decision to make them look like that and to not shoot it properly for the CGI that made it look so horrendous. Yeah, and it's bad as an adaptational choice as well, because even if you remove, you know, Cats is a really weird musical, but if you remove the sort of artifice of the stage show with the actors in makeup and all this 
and the huge crowds of it, you then end up with this very strange, almost, like, it's almost indescribable how weird it is. Yeah, it's, it's because not he's a... trying to in yeah he's trying to inject realism into something that is patently ridiculous just by concept. Yeah, it's it's weird how they put like just on a on a scaling issue. If it seems so pedantic to pick on such a specific thing with the scaling of a cat, but we know what a cat's size is. We know how big a cat is, so you can't just throw a cat be tiny, throw a cat be huge, and then because it's it's this weird. As you said, like it's supposed, it's supposed, it's trying to be realistic in its depiction, but it's just coming off in an extremely hilariously bad and weird way. Yeah, and the other problem is because they cast one of the big appeals of Cats as a sort of stage show is that you don't need any big names for it because everyone's in makeup. That's one of the reasons it's been running so long. But they decided we'll just cast a bunch of celebrities in the roles celebrities who aren't going to be able to take time out of their schedule to commit to a months-long shoot. So we'll have Taylor Swift in for one scene, and we'll have James Corden in for one scene. And then that means that you don't see them as characters, you just see them as, oh, look, it's celebrities dressed as cats. Yeah, it's J- it's James Corden as a cat. It's yes. not Buster for Jones and his white spats. No. And it's he wasn't exactly the deepest character to begin with. But it's made worse because now you don't even have any level of familiarity with him. He just sort of dips in and out. Yeah, like like Jason Derulo and his curious cat antics. Yeah. And trying to... (laughs) His removed CGI bulge. Yes, that as well. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just weird the whole way through. Yeah, we we could talk for hours just but upon not, how yeah, horribly that, not even in that any horrible that film is. Oh, I just yeah, it's bizarre. Why does and why does some of them have hands and some of them have paws? Make up your mind. Dame Judy Judy Dench is just wearing a fur coat in that. Like you didn't even try. Tom Hooper, if you're listening to this, by yeah. by no by no mere miracle, are you randomly mm. clicking on a Spotify podcast and thinking yeah. this these guys. They, I hope they, they know have what they're nice talking about. To say about me. Oh no, yeah. they don't. <laughs> I love the idea that he's listened. What is it like half an hour through this, <laughs> for some reason, and then gets to this point and goes, "Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't like either like of things." <laughs> but I'll do better now. These guys yeah. have inspired me. Yes, that's that's the over the only silver lining to take from this is that maybe we've inspired him to do better. Yeah, and I, I th- just yeah, use I think a what's... wide shot every once in a while. It's not hard. Don't <laughs> he did in cats? It was awful. Thing in close up. We yeah, don't I mean, want the wide shots one. like he did in cats. Yeah, a normal but one th- with normal actors who aren't dressed as cats. Yeah, I think there's a lot um, to be said that. Tom Hooper tries, and he, he, he tries makes... to make the distinction between stage and film a real distinction. Instead of just putting yes. the, the stage performance into film, he tries to actually adapt it and change it for film. And often it doesn't work in the right he, way. But he, he makes does a lot change oh, it. Yeah. He makes a lot of capital C choices, but none of them are motivated. Absolutely, yes. But I think that um you know that distinction between for Les Mis especially you mentioned how you know there's the bit with 
um, Jean Valjean and he whispers his name and it doesn't have the same yeah. power that it does in the musical, but no. it's almost a directorial choice to make it a bit more muted because that film can be more muted, whereas a lot more stage performances cannot be muted in that same way. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be discussed in the, you know, what makes a film work better, um, whether, you know, what, what works better, a film or a stage musical of certain things. And I think that brings me on to my, our next topic. Mm-hmm. The which is yeah stage versus the changes screen. between the two yeah exactly. which we've already sort of discussed with good and bad adaptations but I don't know this one I guess this is more of a generic topic. Well, the, yeah, this is more so uh, some of mm. the uh, musicals that I've put into this section for me were ones that I think are potentially good adaptations, but I think it's interesting to discuss them as whether or not the film or the musical is better rather than this is a good adaptation it's a which is better yeah okay i can get behind that and i've i've put uh put rocky horror on here again because oh, i think right. there's a real the interesting di- uh, difference for me seeing it live compared to the film is that they've absolutely nailed in the live performances the the atmosphere and the the style of it, and they managed to enhance it with an audience by allowing audience participation. Well, so much of Rocky Horror really gained um, this cult following, essentially, as a film, essentially, because of audience participation in a lot of ways. It's, a, you know, there's almost a community set up around watching the film again and again and again in a cinema with an audience. So you, I really feel like that would be obviously enhanced by a stage setting yeah like ha- have you actually seen it live no oh you're missing yeah. it because uh when we went to see it i think it was i can't remember the name but duncan blue is it oh, the, the duncan one of the guys from the boy band the dragon the, from the i don't know no duncan Ballantyne's the guy from dragon's dad no no the, the guy from the boy band His oh name right was duncan okay. i think Wait, but he the, was playing from, Frankenfurter. Oh right, from the boy band Blue. Is his actual name Duncan Blue? I don't. I don't oh, think so. Okay. That, I'm, that that is all random information I'm pulling from the backs of the depths of my brain. Oh okay. But um, it was a famous guy in a boy band who used to be in a boy band playing Frankenfurter. Right. And it was the first time I'd seen it live, and I didn't know that there was cat calling and audience participation, and it was extremely fun. Everyone was dressed up in characters and costumes, and it was a fantastic time. Yeah. And I think... I Because um, I went to see it with a friend who hadn't seen the film before, but wanted to, and the rest of us had seen the film. And it was really interesting to discuss with him about the differences of, you know, whether or not he preferred the film after seeing it. Because it's, it's, a, it's a different experience, but it's obviously an essentially the same story. But the only real difference being that you're really in the moment with the the stage performance whereas in the film you are still enjoying it but you can't get involved as much like even with the time warp at the end you physically get up in the audience and you yeah. do the time warp yeah i think there's a lot to that the energy of that really i think enhances the entire performance uh, do the performers actually go off the stage and like into the audience and with you know join in and everything or i don't think they did with us okay. but it's entirely possible that's, that they I mean, could in that's other sort of good because that 
in a in a minuscule way that always makes me very nervous oh yeah please, it was please it's don't, terrifying don't talk, don't talk to me don't look at me it's gonna like the it crowd with um with a sat in the thing yeah. and just points him out in the crowd He's like, do you look at his bum? <laughs> the interesting thing sort of earlier this year with Hamilton coming to Disney Plus was that it sort of opened it up to a wider audience. And I'm actually really glad that it's been successful. Like the stage recording has just been successful as a viewing experience because it means hopefully they won't try to adapt it to film. Because if they did, they would a studio would see it as purely as awards bait so think right we've got to throw we've got to smother it in production design and lavish costumes and you'd sort of defeat the appeal of the show yeah i think what i um hoped from seeing how popular the hamilton stage performance of with the you know the refilmed but re-edited and done mm. to perfect the stage performance rather than to do it as film uh, and that performed really well, and I really hope that that means that they're going to do that with more musicals. Like, I don't want to see more film adaptations of musicals, necessarily. I want to see more recordings of stage performances, because I would have never been able to see Hamilton yeah. purely based on the fact that, to begin with, it was it, like just in America. And when it did mm. come to the UK, it was expensive and yes. impossible to book. Mm. And it wasn't with that original cast, I don't believe. Yeah, it was not. That is sort of, and yeah, because there's so many tiny intuitive things that separate film and stage when adapting something. Because you mentioned the producers earlier, and I I do like that film adaptation, but the sort of I always prefer the original, um, just you know the original Brooks film purely because I think so many of the performances in the uh, musical film feel geared towards the stage and so they come across as a bit too well for lack of a better word stagey on the screen to me that's fair i, I think that's you, you, yeah the that's the element that i like so much about the film yeah genuinely yeah. but is that they use the scale of um of cinema and of the stage together hmm. to you know keep both uh together yeah but what I mean more is that it would be really good if we had an original recording of that cast on stage. That is true. I would happily have that as yeah. well. Like, I'm glad that I have the film, but I would love to see a stage recording of it also. Mm. And I'm always, I'm always really impressed when a film comes along, when a film musical comes along and makes me think that I, you couldn't translate that to the stage in a way that would be as effective. Maybe it would, but it feels like it's fundamentally conceived and designed to be shown on film and the one the opening sequence of all that jazz is and the way it uses editing to convey this process of auditioning and what it's like to perform on stage and and the whole opening is actually on youtube on um the criterion collections youtube channel and it's so good because it because of the way it uses framing and contrast and montage to actually give you an insight into this long process and again i don't maybe it is something you could recreate on stage in some way but you'd have to alter it radically so yeah i i think very similar feelings i was thinking about this before 
Um, I feel very similarly about La La Land as a general, as a film. Yeah. I think you could potentially adapt that to stage, but I think it would lose a lot in just the the way um, that it's directed, the way it's shot. It's so magical that I think a lot of it would be lost on stage. Yeah, yeah. So my yeah, dog I... is now in my hands, so it's difficult. So... <laughs> He's invaded the recording space. Yeah, we can, we can, I wonder if, wait, are you wearing headphones or will he be able to hear me? Yeah, I've got headphones on. I'm afraid he can't. Oh, never mind that. I was going to be like, walkies, walkies, on a treat. Yeah, yeah. even though it is pitch black outside. (laughs) Yeah, he'll he'll find a way. Hmm. No, I I didn't hear him jump up, so that's good. Yeah. There's also another film that sort of does that for me is the uh, 60s French musical, The Umbrellas of Chabot, which is actually, Damien Giselle cite that as like a huge inspiration on La La Land. And the entire film, every word is in song. But they're not even... That doesn't mean that the entire film is made up of songs. It just means that they are singing every line of dialogue. Because it doesn't always rhyme and it doesn't always fit a certain tempo. But every line ends up being sung. And so to compensate for how do you handle that energy and what to emphasise, they make such a great use of colours and camera movement to really convey emotion. And again, you could maybe do that on the stage, but... There was a West End adaptation of it, I found out while researching this, but it only ran for six months, which does make sense to me. Because again, I just don't know how you could recreate it, really. Yeah, there, there's definitely a magic to some a, a film musical that in is ha- enhanced by the camera movement. If the camera is part of the energy of the music, then it, it belongs in the cinema. Yeah. But interestingly, I've got two here uh, in my list which I very I think I'd very much like to hear your opinions on okay which are well I'm going to go with one at a time so The Lion King is my first one right oh yeah from stage to screen yeah um yeah very successful adaptation I would say yeah because I think the the beauty of why both of them work is obviously there are and and let it be known that there are there is only one Lion King film yes well, there's Lion King 2, but... Oh, right, yeah. There's, there's only one Lion King film. There is no such thing as a recent Lion because King Because that film. would be such a bad idea. It would be a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, but I think the beauty of why the stage-to-screen difference um, is because it, it does something different. Hmm. And it's, it's generally why the modern film didn't, uh, because it didn't do anything different, and everything it did do different was boring. Yeah, and they both take this more expressionistic angle as well that isn't necessarily realistic, but works because of how vibrant it is and how emotionally open it is. Yeah, it absolutely... Like, the choice to use, you know, puppetry in and shadows and everything like that in the stage show was a, a fantastic choice because it... There's so much more emotion and power and spectacle to it because not only are you enjoying the story and the music that you've heard before, you're astounded by the visuals, which just doesn't happen in a lot of stage shows in the same way. Yeah. And it's quite it's quite unusual because based on what we've discussed, because so far we've been talking about uh, stage to screen, but this is screen to stage. This is the other way around. Yeah, it's a it's a rarity, really. Like you mm. don't get that as much. Well, you, you, we. I feel like we're getting more now. 
Like there was, yeah, I mean, wasn't there a Back to the Future musical at one point? Or that's, I... I think that's happening now. I yeah, think that's beginning to sort mm. of happen. And there's a Mary Poppins stage show, and um, probably other things. I don't know, but yeah. No, that um, it. I think it is exciting to see because the if people take the same approach that the Lion King did, where they take it in an interesting direction, I'm very excited to see. A lot more stage uh, screen to stage yeah and the other one i have on my list as this is one i think is that is definitely worth discussing is sweeney todd the the demon barber sweeney todd okay um i'm gonna have to pause for one second because i might have to take the dog out for one second that is that is fine yeah it's okay i'm back crisis averted and through the magic of editing yes. you'll never even know hmm Unless you yeah, were just, I, you had an amazing insight in that thirty seconds while I was away. Oh yeah, I wrote an essay. Yeah. So yeah, the the demon barber Sweeney Todd. Yes. The Fleet Street of Sweeney Barber. Yes. The bloody f- sweet fleets of the demons of Todd. Tim Burton working through some issues. Yeah, but no, I think for me, um. This is a weird uncanny valley where it's it's so different from the stage show, but not entirely intentionally. Right, okay. Because um, the stage show is extremely operatic. Like, it is full-on opera. Mm-hmm. And the film just can't be because Johnny Depp cannot sing opera. Right. Well, I've seen neither, so um, I can't really comment. You've not seen the movie? No, I haven't, actually. Well, let it be known that we will be watching this movie (laughs) at some point in the future. offering thoughts. Because you you need to see this movie, and then you need to listen to the stage performance, because they're both very, very good, but in their own ways. Oh, okay. Oh, so you still like the uh, Burton film, then? Yeah, yeah. Even though it's very different. Oh, right, okay. Is that despite... Um, I like both, and obviously the stage show coming first and very being very operatic. For the film to not be operatic just purely by limitation of the actors, is it feels very weird because it doesn't really change the music, but it weirdly becomes different enough. And obviously with Burton's style over the top of it, and the yeah, um, and the performances are all. Just it's so weirdly charming, I think. Whereas the stage show is almost darkly comedic, whereas the film itself is just kind of dark. Um, it doesn't have the same level of comedy, I don't think. I one thing I remember about it is that um, not the actual film, but just sort of a controversy that came out of it was that didn't they advertise it as if it was just a drama they they did not play into the musical aspect of it at all with the trailers and promos for it that does sound familiar i i mm. don't remember it specifically but, but that i does think sound like familiar. But i think that does play into what you meant about how a lot of it feels very just sort of grounded and dark in that in the way that you could very easily sell it to someone without any context that it's a musical yeah this is just definitely, a dingy Burton esque drama. It yeah, it definitely has that aesthetic and that feel, and you could very much see a version of it where there was no singing at all, and it would still very much feel like the same story in film. Yeah. 
but that's I'm genuinely really disappointed that you've not seen <laughs> either of those. That's really been a kick in the in the in the chest. That's ruined your whole thing. Yeah, I was really excited for the back and forth that we're going to have about that. Oh, well, I'm I'm very sorry. Alan Rickman is in it, isn't he? Alan Rickman is in it. Yeah, and okay. he has a horrible death scene. Oh, that's good. Not even necessarily that his death is horrible because it's it's you you know the general vibe of Sweeney yeah. Todd it's he slits the third service victims yes, yada, yes, yada 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 makes pies spoiler yeah. alert for it mm. but um the uh, when he when Alan Rickman finally has his throat uh, cut and he slides down the the chute down to the basement where the pies are made yeah there's uh it's the same. It's, I think they might have used the same soundbite as they did for Russell Crowe and Les Mis. So <laughs> <laughs> if if that gives you enough context to know how horrendous it is when he hits the ground, that's all you need to know. It, it would be nice to see that soundbite used in a film where I'm, you know, invested and not exhausted by that point. Yeah. It should become the new Wilhelm scream, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the Russell Crowe snapping noise. Okay. Are we moving on to best performance? I couldn't think of a transit. Russell Crowe sure gives a bad performance. You know who gives good performances? I don't know. Why didn't you tell yeah. me? Uh, okay, so we're we're running like a long time now, so I'm just going to list these off quickly. Uh, Judy Garland in the 1950s A Star Is Born. I think that's one of the best musical performances ever. Just, in, in particular, just one song, which is The Man That Got Away, because... And it, she sings it all in one unbroken shot. Except this, you know, unlike Mr. Hooper, um, George Cacor actually directs it in a wide shot. So you're able to see her entire range of movement and her whole just force of nature performance. And so that's fantastic. I also want to say that uh, Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor are all fantastic in Singing in the Rain. Because it's one of those, and they're not what you'd call deep performances, but they are so pitch perfect for the tone of the film and, and the rhythm of it and what they need to deliver. And it's just infectiously joyous. Uh, but my absolute favourite musical performance is, and I'm going back to all that jazz, for Roy Scheider. Because he, if you were to... Like, if you want a great double feature, you want to watch Jaws and you see Scheider give this very introverted, stoic performance, and then you watch all that jazz where he is so flamboyant and so charismatic and so outspoken, and it genuinely makes you wonder why he didn't become the biggest star in the world, because it's such a huge degree of range in those two roles. And and it's very autobiographical as well, because the director of all that jazz, Bob Fosse, basically just cast... Roy Scheider as himself. He has him dressed the same as him. His he's a he's playing a Broadway uh, director who also directs films on the side and is working on a film about a stand-up comedian. And in real life, Bob Fosse was also working on a film about a stand-up comedian just before he started work on all that jazz. And and it's this brutally honest look at his own collision course with death and how he's slowly working and drinking and smoking himself to death while also being a creative genius <laughs> so it's a that's a, it's a weird balance to strike isn't it yeah he's saying like i'm great i'm amazing but i am dying so. yeah and because he is like he has all these moral failings where you know he cheats on his wife and girlfriend um and he he doesn't you know he he 
doesn't listen to his doctors. He doesn't take into account what they're saying. He doesn't try to, you know, save his own life so he could spend more time with his daughter. He just slowly carries on down that path towards death. But because of his own sheer charisma, you sort of can't... You're just left still kind of loving him for it. Which is a very weird balance to have. but And it's very difficult to strike in that kind of performance. But it just... You're just so drawn into it and you can't take your eyes off him. That was very fair. I, I actually completely forgot that Roy Scheider is in that film. I forgot yeah. that it was the same guy from I, It is such a transformation because it's so insanely good in how he just morphs from one to the other. I mean, you know, it is it is two completely different films with two different directors. I understand how acting works, but it's... <laughs> It really is so... And I guess it's because I've I've seen Jaws so many times, so to watch him make that transformation is really remarkable. That is yeah. very fair. Yeah, so th- those are all of my performances. Now, see, again, I feel like you've gone... <laughs> so I'm just going to cross out Pierce Brosnan real quick. Yeah. Um... <laughs> oh, you know what? If you'd have said Lily James in Here We Go Again... I would have been fully behind that. No, um, I think it's Julie Walters yeah. in in both Mamma In both of it. Oh, I love it when she falls out of the boat in the first one. She doesn't fall out of the boat. Wait, does she fall out of the boat? Yeah, no, she like almost stumbles she falls around off the, a dinghy. She almost falls off the roof. And then she's like, I can't let go. Oh, right. <laughs> and she's pursuing <laughs> Stalin Skarsgård. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, understandably so. Yeah, I mean, yes, we all would. But you know, that her determination is, you know, it's almost endearing, and also slightly worrying. Yeah. Like I'm not sure. I, I think it's more worrying how yeah. quickly he ch- he turns around where she's about to fall off the roof, and then he like goes bye bye, and then yeah. catches her, and is like, now I'm in love with you. Yeah. It's like I feel like this crosses some sort of line, but I'm not sure which. Yeah. If it was the other way around, it'd be very mm. weird to watch. Anyway, do you have any actual performances that you wanted to talk about? Or, well, I genuinely think there is a lot of merit in Nathan Lane's performance in the producers, the 2005 film. Oh yeah, okay. Because the pure energy that man has yeah. in that whole film of just the chaos and the manic energy that he gives off, I mm. absolutely adore it. And a, a specifically, um, because we. Didn't really touch on like best songs or anything, but his per- performance for the Betrayed song, where he basically goes through the entire film, but in like five minutes yeah. by doing like snippets of each song. And it's just so much energy mm. and it's so funny and it's so good. He's just trapped in this cell, bouncing off the walls. And he's he's just got so much. I just, I keep coming back to it just energy wise. He brings the entire audience to him in those five minutes that i'm just i'm there for the entire movie with him just watching him and loving everything that he does you can tell it's a performance that's really homed by him doing it on stage for as long as he did yeah definitely. because he just sort of sinks into it so effortlessly yeah and i I briefly put a mention for the uh for genuinely andrew rannells for the book of mormon Um, oh yeah uh purely based on the performance of i believe they did mm. for the was it the Tonys I think, yes, we'll whatever one he that. did it for. Yeah, I'll pretend yeah. to know. But 
because uh, I've seen the Book of Mormon live, but I didn't get to see it yeah. with Andrew in it. I got to see someone who's basically emulating the performance that Andrew gave yeah. to begin with. And he, again, he has, um, I don't know if you've seen that clip of him doing, is it is it Into the Woods? Uh, where he, the blame song, where everybody's getting blamed for I things. Don't, I don't think I have, no. No, but um, basically there's a clip of him doing that song and he does, he has the same energy. And I think that's what really attracts me to a performer in uh, musicals is energy. And if someone can sell me on their energy, that is what endears me to them. Well, you sort of have to as well, because so much of a musical is dependent on, you have to sell the idea that the emotions have reached such a peak that everyone is just breaking into song. So the energy it's the is the only such, way I can express yeah, my feelings. Yeah, song. the energy is such a crucial part of that because you have to jump into it and hope the audience buys into it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of songs, pregnant pause there. Into. Yep, that's the, the <laughs> final category. Is we're going to quickly run down our favorite songs from. I mean, all of mine are from film because I'm an uncultured swine and I don't watch enough theater. So. To be, fair, uh, to be fair, I've got a very very brief list on this, but I do have a, a an additional topic that I would like to bring up. Oh, okay then. Well. But please uh, do tell me your best songs first. Okay, so I don't know if this is cheating, but Purple Rain from the end of Purple Rain. That is cheating. I'm no, not allowed. No, it. no, it's amazing. Well, I'm giving it a shout out anyway, because it's great. That's and it's fine, right at the end of the I'm... film, and it's the, it's the emotional climax of the film when Prince goes on that stage and sings the greatest song in human history. <sighs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Uh, I I really like Origin of Love from he- Hedwig and the Angry Inch. That's that is really, a very obscure has for that, me. I would have never pulled that one out. Yeah, well, it's got that whole, like, sort of crude animated sequence to it that just somehow works. And it's so glam rock that I just, yeah, it's great. And Drive It Like You Stole It from Sing Street. And again, it's a great sequence of the film as well because it's the it, it melds from rehearsal to sort of his imagined prom scene and all the characters from the film are just sort of walking back in and it's over the top, and but it plays into it because it's a fantasy and I love it. And then I'm going back to all that jazz for a third time because I want to have <laughs> as... So as uh, Roy Scheider's health deteriorates, he starts to hallucinate all of these... Uh, so of his own life flashing before his eyes, but it's in the form of musical numbers because he is a musical director. And the final song, Bye Bye Life, is both like exhilarating and terrifying because it's this beautifully staged, beautifully acted musical number, but the subtext of it all is this man is about to die. And it's all coming from his own existential horrors of his impending death. So it's... It's funny and, like, really catchy, but also, you know, a sign of imminent death. So it's such a great contrast of emotions. So, yeah, those, those are, those those, are my favourite songs. Those are good songs. picks. Yeah, yeah, those are good picks. Yeah. Um, I I feel like I'm forgetting a bunch of pick, uh, picks for me, just because I, I went to put together my list, and I my mind went a lot of blank, because I, th- I think my favourite songs uh are more so the moments that they carry when you watch the performance yeah and as i mentioned previously the um the betrayed song from the producers yeah absolutely carries that because it is the entire film based in five minutes and mm-hmm. it's the build-up to that 
is what makes that song so good because it's the references that you all tick back to the previous scenes and it i, I love that as yeah, a concept. it definitely it carries like yeah as you said it carries the full context and weight of the film with it so that definitely plays into how much you like it by the end yeah and also the same uh, to be said about one day more in lemis yeah which just there's so much i think there's so much power in that one song just as like mm. that that mid break just before the the second act yeah that really is powerful and every time i hear it it does harken back to that feeling of mm. watching it live yeah again that's another little thing going back to um differences between stage and screen there's a lot to be said about an intermission on stage that you don't really get with a film in that same powerful way unless it's a well, film with I, an intermission yeah i um, i recall seeing pirates of the caribbean at world's end did that have an intermission yeah. in it? It did when My I went God. to see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, when we, you know, we think of like the the prestige staples of epic cinema when it comes to um, intermissions, like, you know, Godfather Part 2, Lawrence of Arabia, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. But there, there is also <laughs> uh, At World's End. It's right up there with them. Yeah. A near three-hour film. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's absurd. Sorry, we can't get sidetracked with that. We'll do that in another no. episode. But no, um, I have two very brief topics that I'd like to bring up. I okay. Don't them, I've put them in yours. But do you have something that you think, uh, either as a film or yeah. as a musical, hmm. that deserves to be adapted the other way around? Hmm. That is a good I have, because... I have an answer for this. I don't know because... if I have an answer because purely because... Um, I mean, as I said, I had to look up the fact that there was an Umbrellas of Shabor um, stage musical that didn't really work anyway. So I feel like whatever I say, I'll find out that there was some obscure West End run of it that died after a month or something. I mean, so, it's fine. I'm, you can I'm be interested. incorrect. I'm, but... I'm interested to hear your answer while I maybe think of one. You should definitely think of one. Yeah. But one that I got from discussing with uh, pottery enthusiast Niall Conroy when I was speaking to him the other day. Ah. Um, he mentioned Miss Saigon. Oh, okay. Right. And I think genuinely that would be As a, a very film, easy yeah. transition to mm. film. And I'm surprised it hasn't actually been done, uh, to my knowledge. Because they re- well, they relatively recently released the 25th anniversary of the the stage performance which was like a dvd performance uh filmed on stage which was very good but yeah. i think just in terms of either you know the amount of films about the vietnam war mm. and the amount of stories that are told like that and it's a very simplistic uh stage performance in the grand scheme of things i'm really honestly surprised that it's never been made into a film yeah, that's... and I would absolutely happily see it transition into film because I think you could really hone in on a lot of the character moments and really amp up the emotion, and also have a fantastic scale of with the Vietnam War as a backdrop. It does definitely seem like one of those things that feels as if it should have happened already. Because when you said it, I genuinely had a moment of thinking, "Wait, has I'm sure?" Because it, yeah, you're right. It does have that because it feels like it's a well-known show enough that it would have clout if it did get made into a film and it feels appropriately the material feels appropriate for cinema as well 
it astounds me that it hasn't happened. It must be a, a rights thing or something, or just no one's tried to do it. Yeah. Okay, I've thought of one for... But again, I don't... I haven't looked up if it's actually happened or not. We've had four film versions of A Star Is Born. Uh, why not a stage one? Maybe. Fair. That's it, very you fair. know, I and it feel because especially because as I said, four times over the story's been told. So I think people are generally accustomed to the story now, and it might be interesting to see it presented in a new medium. Especially because we know it sustains you know, three good films and one weird one with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. But you mean the best one? Yeah, whatever. Um, and it was still really popular, the Streisand one. So I feel like it could, you know, something interesting could be done on stage. Maybe there's. I think there's definitely some merit to that. I'd, mm. it, I think it would be interesting to see how differently they could adapt it for the stage. Yeah. Would you? I guess they'd have to come up with a new soundtrack because they've all had new soundtracks. But yeah, mm. and then I think that the soundtrack would have to be would have to have a bit more. It would have to uh, be a bit longe- more longevity yeah. to it. Yeah, and maybe more like a actual stage musical because, of course, we've had you know the Judy Garland one is about a film star, and then Streisand and Gaga's one are both about music stars, so. Yeah, putting it, maybe turn it into like some meta textual narrative about Broadway and stage shows and whatever. Who knows? That's We have so many good ideas here. <laughs> We're just steering Hollywood in the right direction. We've saved Tom Hooper's career. We've convinced them We've convinced them to greenlight Miss Saigon as a film. And we've convinced them that A Star is Born deserves a musical. Yes. Another one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I'd like to top it off. If you could, I think I know your answer to this based on how how much you've mentioned it so far. (laughs) Your favorite musical film. Yeah, I I would have to go with all that jazz. Just because it's, it's, as I, for reasons I already said, it's such, it's such a striking balance between this very brutally honest character study but also never never tries to pretend it isn't a musical. Because sometimes a film gets a bit too frightened by the idea of big musical numbers. I think that's what happened with Les Mis. I think Tom Hooper wanted to film some drama about the French Revolution and was then just a bit downtrodden by the fact that he had to put music in it hmm. and did all he could to make the music worse. Yeah. So, but but because of because of Fosse's experience as a theatre director, he never treats it as a lesser vehicle for emotion he really leans into the extravagance of it and the just huge spectacle of big musical numbers but also never loses sight of the main character no i hmm. i think i need to go and rewatch all that yeah. jazz. Uh, you've 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 in, you've inspired me too yeah that's that is my victory <laughs> mine is, is um yeah, please illuminate <laughs> first, me on yours. The first Mamma Mia film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, I've mentioned, obviously, the producers throughout. Yeah. I think that is absolutely got to be one of my, if not the, um, my favorite yeah. musical film. Mm-hmm. Because it just has an energy that I adore. And that's why I yeah. love from musicals is that fun nature. And as much mm-hmm. as I, you know, I love a good depressing musical, I love to cry. I do love to laugh and have fun a lot more. You love to laugh at playwrights as they accidentally make one about Nazis. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, that being said, though, I do have an additional answer, which is a favorite musical film that isn't a musical, which is genuinely La La Land. And oh, I okay. mentioned it briefly yeah. before. Yeah, that because, makes sense. Which is the exact opposite feeling of the producers, because I can hear that little piano riff. Oh, God, and my heart it is. starts to sob. Yeah, it is heartbreaking as well. because And it feels so painfully real as well. There's no dramatic... There's no sort of melodramatic reason for them to not be together by the end. It's just circumstance. And it feels exactly, so yeah. painful to what, you know, to what could happen in the real world. And so then it's like it's a knife twisting that awful... Um, th- th- you've had all these happy musicals and now they become like these big, lovely numbers. And now they become the worst enemy as your soul yeah, they, is crushed. They take you back to that yeah. moment that you felt those feelings and you remember that those aren't the feelings you feel mm. right now and that's so sad. Yeah. So, so sad. Yeah. It is a very similar ending to Umbrellas of Shabur. Again, because you can really see... I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that, by the way, but it's, <laughs> you can really see the influence that uh, Demi's film had on Chazelle and that makes them really good as a double feature as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm... I've, I don't think I've seen Umbrellas of No, I have it. I own a physical copy of it. Then that is on the list along yeah. with Sweeney Todd <laughs> of what we're going to watch. Yeah, that's the exchange. <laughs> I can't believe that you've seen The Umbrellas of Shabot, but you <laughs> haven't seen Sweeney Todd. That's mental. Just to my me. priorities. <laughs> if I was walking through HMV and I just happened to... if I if, No, okay, there's a few things that need to happen. I needed to have seen an interview with Damien Chazelle earlier that day where he explicitly says that his favourite film ever is Sweeney Todd. I then need to go to <laughs> HMV and happen to see it on sale, a copy of it, and then I need to buy it. Because that's what happened for me to own Umbrellas. We can artificially create that situation. Yes. Okay. Terrific. Oh, um, I forgot... Um... The one I didn't mention from best song, best performance, uh, they, it collaborates together, it really mushes together, is um, Sugar Ray in Scooby-Doo, the live-action oh, movie. We're still maintaining this. We are, I mean, I am. <laughs> <laughs> because when I see knock-off Ethan Hawke singing with his frosted, frosted tips... <laughs> It fills me with a, a special kind of joy that nothing else ever can. It really does. And then he asks, um, and then Freddie Prince Jr. jumps away from the party and he says, how's it going, dog, to Matthew Lillard? And then he turns to the dog and he says, how's it going, dog? And it's well, just, it's it's real chef's kiss. Yeah, I mean, I won't correct Oh, damn, no, have quotes. I got it wrong? No. not It's not specifically, oh. like, I think it's the way you said it that made oh, it, okay. you, you led yourself into a deep hole, because oh. it's, what up, dog? Oh, and it's what up, dog. dog. It's not, how's it going, dog? Oh, damn it. How's it going, dude? That's what I was thinking yeah, that, of. Yeah, you're mixing it up. But that is very fair. I think with that, <laughs> we can draw a line under this. Yeah, we can we can end it with yeah. Mamma Mia is the greatest film of all time, yeah. and uh, <laughs> no, no. Pierce Brosnan is a good singer, and I really enjoyed the movie. Okay, bye. Shh.